Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast, where our goal is to engage with all those willing to venture deeper into their transformational journey with Christ. Here's your host and co-founder of Embracing Brokenness Ministries, Colleen Adams. Topic that's very near and dear to my heart because it's one of the things that I see derail so many Christians' lives and journey. Um, And that conversation I would like to engage with you is about the safe people in your life, um, which actually leads to a greater conversation about safe community in your life, but community is made of people. And, you know, there's nothing that derails uh, our healing journey more than when we isolate ourselves and won't allow anybody else in to help us on the journey. I think Satan wins uh, powerfully by separating us from other people. You know, it's interesting that we are made in the image of a triune God. Um, You know, in Genesis 2, when God is making Adam and Eve, he says, I will make Adam and Eve um, or man and woman in our image which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's such intentionality of community that's embedded in the image of God. You know, I often say that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are passing other-centered love, and I think just serving each other. And you see love pass through um, the Trinity and this concept of community and connectedness And then God makes man and invites us into that. So we are invited into community and communal relationship. And the power of that community was not lost on Satan, who said, I need to isolate and separate people, uh, not only from themselves and from God, but from each other, so that they will not fully um, live up to what God has called them to and reflect the image of God. And so in many of our journeys, you know, when we, in Genesis 3, fell, bit the fruit um, that we were not allowed to bite, and um, the consequences of our eyes being open to no good and evil is that we became very self-centered, and we started to blame each other. I mean, you clearly see in the garden that Adam shifts the focus from his own sin to Eve and blames her. And Eve quickly blames the serpent, and everybody takes consequences for that. But you see what is common in man today after sin has entered the equation that we, be, we start to blame each other, and we've broken down relationship. And Satan has taken full advantage of that for us to wound each other, hurt each other, um, and further deteriorate trust so that we become isolated islands and build walls around ourselves, and make vows that we will never trust again. And so a major part of our journeys is to restore trust, trust in ourselves to even discern who is healthy and who is not. We call that perceptive trust. Um, And to create some frameworks of how do we engage community in a healthy way. So we're not blindly trusting and having some devastating consequences from that and further building walls that separate us from community. And I love um, Terry Wardle's model. Uh, Terry is somebody who I've learned under. He's an incredible author and teacher and model. 
And so I love his work. I also love Townsend and Cloud do some amazing work on safe people. And so I think there are people working in this area of what does it look like to restore. Um, Terry's model has been particularly influential on me. And so I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about a diagram of how this trust works and what we need to do to restore trust. Before I do that, I'm going to ask you, I mean, you can turn off this video for a minute. What may be a helpful exercise for you is just to close your eyes, you know, take a few deep breaths and just get in a quiet place um, with the Lord and just ask the Lord to reveal somebody in your life who you viewed as safe. So ask him to recall it. It could be a grandmother when you were young. It just doesn't matter, but somebody that you viewed as safe. And when you have that person in mind, I'd just like you to take a piece of paper and just jot down everything you can recall about why they were safe. So you're gonna have attributes of that person that made them safe for you. So turn off the camera and go ahead and engage that exercise. And then when you're done, turn the camera back on or the video back on and we'll go from there. Okay, hopefully you're back with me. I'm gonna define um, some attributes that hopefully were on your list. There could be uh, a couple new ones, but I would say that some prime attributes of safe person um, is that they're non-judgmental. They listen actively, they hold confidence, they're gonna hold confidentiality, they're accepting, caring, loving, they respect your boundaries, so they're not trying to violate your boundaries. Um, they understand and utilize healthy touch as appropriate, so they're not kind of violating with you with touch, but they also understand that touch um, really is a way we connect as human beings and can have some powerful healing properties to it. Um, most important to me, I don't view anybody as safe if their safety is not rooted in God. So they point others to Christ. They do not use spiritual cliches. Um, they do not minimize other feelings. They will not allow others to act as victim. They challenge others to forgive. They do not condemn and they do not engage in the healing process before being in a relationship. So they're not trying to fix you. They're trying to walk alongside of you. And so here's some really good attributes. I'm wondering if on your paper, if you identified any of those attributes, this is gonna be the set of attributes that I'm gonna ask you to use going forward as you start to do some exercises to evaluate safe people in your life. But first, I wanna kinda of just talk to you about what happens um, with safe people, and, and there's a model, this is a pendulum, it's probably a pretty um, poor version of a pendulum, but this is my version of a pendulum. And you know, we're all born very dependent. Human beings are kind of interesting because we're dependent for a very long time on our parents, but the most dependent um, period of our journey is when we're very young. And we have to blind trust. Like our parents must meet our needs um, or whoever is our guardians are responsible for us. And so we're all born vulnerable, blindly trusting, which means we're very open in those early years to being hurt because we haven't developed any defenses or any screening mechanisms to say, this is good, this is not good. We just have to be reliant on other people. 
And as life goes on, probably till about the age of 10 or 12, we still are blindly trusting. Kids like have an amazing um, way of not being biased towards other people. You don't see prejudices. Those things come up much later. And part of it is we haven't built these walls and kind of built these defense mechanisms up. And so most of our wounds from unsafe people have actually happened before the age of 10 or 12. It's a place where when we go back, we find out there's a lot of vulnerability when we've treated people as safe who were not safe in, in our lives and a lot of, of pain has come in. But what happens is over time, as we start to encounter people who do not act safely, this pendulum starts to swing to mistrust. And that mistrust can be passive, it can be aggressive, it can be a combination, that word passive-aggressive, many of us are like, oh, don't like passive-aggressive people. That's actually about trusting relationship. It's an issue of trust. And you'll see that pendulum start to swing. And some people, that pendulum swings and they stay in the actively mistrusting or passively mistrusting but those are where you see these big walls built around people and usually vows that say, I'm never going to trust anybody but myself because everybody else has let me down. Everybody has hurt me. And, you know, sometimes we'll start to trust again and that pendulum swings back a little bit. And we just live out lives sometimes of this pendulum swinging and some of us really get stuck in totally mistrusting everyone. And the goal that we want to get to as Christians is to realize there was only one person who we should have ever blindly trusted who walked this earth, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only person who was fully trustworthy, and that we need people in our lives who represent some of those attributes of safe people that we mentioned that are safe for us probably at about this 70 percentile mark. Meaning, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be safe. They have that core set um, of attributes that's going to make them safe more than 70% of the time. But I have a lot of wounds, and my perception of that safe person means my perception may, I may think that they're hurting me when they're not. And then let's face it, I tell people, don't trust me 100% of the time. I mean, I, I try to be loving and good, and the reality is my self-centered nature, you know, if we're sitting here with a whole big thing of chocolate cake, I still am going to fight to take the biggest piece of that chocolate cake. Sometimes I'm going to defend it pretty hard. So it's really hard for me to go, nope, I need to love you and give you the biggest piece. The reality is we will always fight with our nature, our protection of self. It is part of sin in our world. And so there is a place where we are not 100% safety, doesn't matter. The safest person you know, outside of Jesus, nobody is 100% safe. And so people who are safe and represent safety to you at least 70% of the time have the possibility for them to let you down some and for you to have a conversation and to be able to address the reason they're not safe. And so, you know, most of us can operate in a pretty safe zone of like 95%. But because of these perceptions, you know, we're just looking for people to encounter a relationship with that carry these attributes so that we can live in a place of trust and screen out the people who really are not trustworthy, okay? So that's kind of the model. Another way to look at this, um, Terry created something called the pathology of trust, and so it's just a different visual for you to look at. And again, blind trust is on this side at 100%, and you can see you know, aggressive mistrust, 
and passive mistrust. And again, sometimes we blend these two things together. And so we have um, a passive aggressive kind of mistrust and safe people kind of sitting at about 70%. We want to find those people in our lives. Um, I'm going to tell you a story from my life. It was a really powerful way for me to learn this lesson. And because of childhood sexual abuse and um, things that really came and hijacked my identity from a young age, I built walls and actually even a false sense of self um, over the years and was pretty fiercely guarded. I would let people in so far. I would, you know, use my personality and things to kind of control people. But when it really came to get down into the deep secrets of things that had happened to me, my hopes, my dreams, I wouldn't let people into the deepest recesses of who I was. In fact, it was really interesting that one of my college roommates, um, 20 years after we had graduated college, had told me when I finally was struggling in my first marriage um, and my husband later died, he had relapsed to alcohol and I needed somebody to come and help me get him to rehab. And I will never forget when I asked her to come up and do the intervention, that after we got him to rehab, she stood in my kitchen and she said, this was an amazing thing, like that you would actually ask for help. And I said, Melissa, why is that an amazing thing? And she said, you never let anybody help you. She said, you were there for everyone else, but you never let anybody in. And that really smacked me pretty hard to say, I'm willing to kind of control and help other people and control them that way but I'm never allowed to let people in. And so I started a journey to say, how do I really understand and respect who safe people are and let them speak into my life so that I can actually heal from some things? Um, the other piece of that was, you know, my first husband, when I met him and I just was so guarded, had told me a night we went out to dinner, we were just friends. And he had been observing me for a period of time and the fact that I was very giving but not letting people in. And he gave me this example of myself. He told me about myself. And I share this because I think it's so appropriate when it comes to soul safe person concept. And what he said to me is, Colleen, we all have a glass ball that is, is put deep within us that contains all of the precious things to us. It is our hopes, our dreams, our fears. It's our bad stories. It's our good stories. It's everything that is precious to us. And he said, you know, he said, you seem to me like a person who maybe you were on the playgrounds in like first or second grade and you got to be friends with some girls and you're all on the playground having fun and you get your little best friends and all of a sudden, you know, and because you guys are friends, you give her these precious things. You hand her your glass ball and she takes it and she's carrying your glass ball and you guys are friends for a while. And all of a sudden another little girl comes up and she becomes good friends with that little girl and carelessly without thinking about it, just drops your ball right on the playground and it shatters into pieces. And he said, and I think you went and you picked all the pieces up and you glued those pieces back together and you put that glass ball back inside of you and you were a little bit nervous. You were really hurt. And he said, in a couple years up the road, you know, you meet this boy that you get a crush on and you take the glass ball out and you kind of give it to him. And this time you hold the ball 
while he's holding it in his hands. And eventually you gingerly let go and let him hold it. And so he's holding the ball, things are going good. And then his buddies come and realize that you guys are crushing on each other and they make fun of him. And so to make a show for his friends, he takes the glass ball and he whips it against the wall of the building and it just shatters into pieces all over. And so you go again and you pick up all the pieces of your glass ball, you glue them all back together perfectly, you put them back in and life continues. And every time you go to give your glass ball out, you're a little bit more protective of the handoff and you kind of hold it a little bit longer. And eventually life did something where you weren't willing to hand over your glass ball anymore. And no one was allowed to carry it. And you tucked it inside and said, it's not worth the pain. I'm never giving up the glass ball. And I remember him telling me, I was 22 years old. He said, you will never find what you're looking for in God or in life unless you're willing to trust somebody with your glass ball. And he said, and the other thing is, he said, some of the secrets that you have inside, you've never shared with anyone. And until you share them, um, you can't be whole, you can't be healed. And that spoke powerfully to me. Interesting that as the years went on, I was able to unpack some of the things in that glass ball and share them with him. Um, but I think that is really a true um, image of what happens with trust and our brokenness and how this path goes from blind trust when we're young and kind of giving everybody our glass ball, just wanting anybody to hold it and to share. That's the image of God. We're communal. Let's share these things. Let's be authentic and vulnerable. But the more we realize that other people aren't protecting it and we get hurt and hurt and hurt, we eventually stop giving the glass ball away. And so it's important in our journeys that we find the people that are going to take a hold of our glass ball and they are going to protect it and hold it and not drop it. I mean, people have accidents and we need to talk about if something accidentally drops your glass ball, but that person who drops the glass ball is going to quickly apologize and come around you um, to redeem the fact that they dropped the, the glass ball. That's what a safe person does. And so um, want us to explore this concept because again, um, it is one of the things that I've seen derail healing. So finally on, on this sheet, I'm going to tell you what does it look like for you to move into a place of perceptive trust? And what we're asking you to consider is that you're going to be able to still love unconditionally, trust perceptively, that you start to develop a sense that people can be trusted to the level to which they prove themselves to be trustworthy and that you just don't trust people with everything. And sometimes that means you only give a little bit of information out. You only kind of let them hold the glass ball a little bit while your hands are under it until people more and more and more build trust. You just don't blindly go and give it to someone so that you can kind of build this up. I personally believe that each of us in our journey should have at least three safe people in our lives at all times. Five people would be better, but you need to have the people that you can pick up the phone, whatever is going on in your life, and know that you can rely on somebody to kind of live out these attributes. And I want to just remind you and talk a little bit deeper about what these attributes are. I mean, the number one thing um, on the list, and this is not necessarily in a rank order, but or being non-judgmental. You know, in the church today, we are so judgmental of everything. You know, um, 
scripture so clear you know don't be worried about the log in your brother's eye or the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own but when we actually sins and we ate of the fruit of the knowledge and good of evil of good and evil the knowledge of good actually kind of gave us this we can sit in the judgment seat of god god never intended that god is the judge not us and you know probably the place that satan wreaks havoc around safety is making us the judges of everything and so you'll find unsafe people that are constantly judging your behavior we are very judgmental um, in the body of christ you've got to find the people that you can show up and say i am an axe murderer and they're going to say i love you you're a child of god there are going to be consequences to what you've done but they don't judge you they're not deciding you're bad i mean that's what non-judgmental is and you know i laugh about the axe murder when people say yeah really an axe murder but i had a student i was a professor for a number of years and i had a student i was very involved with um their cohort i was his advisor i knew him very well i taught his class oh my goodness i don't even know how many times and right before graduation he actually committed a very very heinous violent murder and he came across television one night i didn't know anything about him committing this murder um he was in his orange jumpsuit shackled all over and it's you know the 11 o'clock news and i see my student go across this man was an elder in his church upstanding member of the community um, and here he is and i'm hearing about this heinous crime and i said to my husband i need to go see him like i just want to go see him and my husband was like what in the world would you go see this man for um, he's just on this heinous thing and i said you know what that's my brother in the lord I don't even begin to understand how his brokenness has shown up in this way. This is heinous. I can't understand it. But what I do know is that God has purpose for his life. And I need to remind him who he is as a child of God and as my brother in the Lord. And I want to go see him and then find out if I can have other people. I mean, he's going to be on death row. This man's probably not going to survive this and to see if he would be okay for people to walk this journey that i can send some people in that do prison ministry and meet with him so non-judgmental acknowledges that my brokenness is not going to look like your brokenness and yours is not going to look like mine so we're not going to understand it we're all capable of of the worst of things um, because of sin entering our lives us giving ourselves over to sin and so it's to say i don't necessarily get it we certainly aren't approving of it, but we're not disapproving. We're not the judge. We're saying it has occurred, fully acknowledge the consequences, but how do we walk alongside in safe community with anything that you're going to disclose? And that's kind of, when we talk about non-judgmental, that really is the safety we, the church, are supposed to be for other people. So you can also see, not only are we looking for these people, this can be a really good criteria set for you to say, am I a safe person? Do I represent myself to friends in this way? And maybe it's something you've got to work towards because as I look around the church, I'm going, there's not enough people holding this criteria. And so we generally feel other people are unsafe. So each of us as a child of God has a responsibility to also be a safe person, to be an ambassador for God. And God holds all these things. Um, we need to listen active, actively, hold confidence, not go tell everybody everybody's story. 
be accepting, caring, loving. And boundaries are an interesting thing. So from a safe person perspective, boundaries clearly have a way of saying what you do does not affect me. What I do does not affect you. Um, probably the place we see boundaries violated the most is like in a child parent relationship. Cause I think parents get into the false assumption that what their child does is a total reflection on them. So you'll start to see some unhealth in these areas, but you've got to be able to go what your behavior does not um, affect me so that you purely can be that confident, that safe person for someone. Um, points others to Christ, mandatory that we don't pretend that we have the answer. Safe people don't say I'm here with all the answers. Safe people fully acknowledge. I often say in our Christian journey, we're probably about two or three years old compared to God. I mean, maybe Solomon, who was the wisest, was three. I'm probably about two. Like we're not real smart um, compared to the wisdom that God has. And so pointing somebody to the source of you know who can make really good decisions and is wise really really important that we point people back to god um don't minimize others feelings you know i remember in my 20s i was doing some counseling and i had like real adult problems going on you know how am i going to pay my rent can i afford the car i just purchased you know all those kinds of things and I can remember doing counseling and, and actually doing youth group with teenagers and they would break up with their first boyfriend and they just acted like the world was going to be over. And I remember thinking, man, if they only had my problems. Well, quite frankly, that's not a safe person attribute. You know, understanding somebody's feelings for where they're at developmentally and, you know, the path that they have walked on, we don't understand what triggers people and why their feelings are their feelings but not minimizing them, allowing the person to have their feelings and saying, you know, even if we don't understand saying, I get that you feel a certain way um, and not trying to take their feelings or try to say, well, it's not as bad as you think it is. Um, I would say probably one of the most important ones, if anybody lets you be a victim and actually plays into you being a victim, you are not a victim in Christ. It is not possible. You are a victor. The victory is already won and somebody has got to take away victim status. When we get into victim status, um, we align ourselves with the enemy in a powerful way, not believing who God says we are and we are not victims. And so it's really important that people don't buy in and have a pity party with you. They don't allow you to be a victim. They're helping you create the plan to a better way. Um, somebody has to challenge you to forgive. They can't allow you to hold on to unforgiveness. You know, we forgive because God has first forgiven us, but we also forgive because, because holding on to unforgiveness damages the inside and everything about myself. So I forgive as much for me as I do to release the other person as much as I do because God's given me the model for forgiveness because holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking an internal poison that is just damaging you. And so somebody is gonna tell you, you gotta do it for your own health, that's a safe person. Um, and I would say the last one that I'm gonna point out is really significant. Like people coming to you with solutions for your life, running up to you with solutions for your life, words about your life, um, when you're not in relationship with them, that's a really unsafe practice. You know, people shouldn't be coming to give you advice about your life. 
you should be walking alongside somebody and see maybe they have some answers their life looks a little bit different and there's something I want and you you know invite them into relationship and out of that relationship you invite them to speak into your life and so that's the model of safe people so giving you some things to think about in regards to safe people a really powerful exercise that you could go through um, that I think can be helpful for you starting to practice this concept of safe people is take a journal and just free flow write everybody you can think of that you've treated as safe as in your life so the people you would have put in the safe person bucket and then after I would brainstorm that list I would take a single piece of paper and I would put their name at the top, each person's individual name at the top of a piece of paper. And I would go through this list of the attributes of safe people. And I would identify the things that that person was safe in and the things that they actually were very unsafe. And then after I went through that exercise, I would start to think about and sit with the Lord to say, what were the consequences to my life and my ability to trust by treating somebody as safe in my life who actually did not meet the attributes of safe people. And as you go through that, you're probably gonna see some patterns about the kind of people you trust and the damage that has been done. And so I think counting the consequences, um, also developing just a frame to say who is safe, who is not safe. You can take the current people in your life that you're trusting um, and kind of put them through that to see, do I have safe people in my life? One of the hard things in the conversation um, when I actually teach a class on safe people is how many people say there's no one safe in their life right now? Or the bigger question is people identify their family, their pastor, their workplace as unsafe. And you know, as we're solidifying our identity in Christ and not having other people define us, there are times where we have to take unsafe people and put them in what I call kind of a third tier. If you think about your safe people are in the center, they're the glass pall holders, and then there's a piece that goes around that, another tier around that, that I always say, those are my friends I go have coffee with, I can go do things with, I might see a church and say hello to but I'm not gonna give them my glass ball. So they're not unsafe, they're just not safe, and I can hang around them. And then there's this tier that becomes very unsafe. Now, God doesn't give us the ability to just write people off and say, done with you, but we can put them in a tier that we're not interacting with them um, a lot. There may be a time where your third tier actually is safe for you to interact with, um, but again, not giving your glass ball stuff, but you gotta be pretty solid in your identity that these unsafe people aren't gonna redefine you and kind of hijack your identity. And so there have been times where I have had to put people in the third tier for a period of time. Could be family members, could be, I mean, I've had unsafe people on pastoral staff at churches um, that I was like, these are really unsafe people. And so you know, I had to challenge my assumptions that certain people's title and position or role in my life um, as family or close friends meant that they should stay there forever. Um, and so some of that may come up for you. And again, sometimes we just have to create a frame to understand how do we hold 
this glass ball protected so we don't build walls to not allow people back into our life. And sometimes while we're identifying who these safe people are, we have to close up the ranks of um, people in our lives to just the safest people for a period of time until we start to develop perceptive trust and understand what to do with people and how much to trust them and who we're not gonna trust. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. They just may have healing issues of their own and can't hold these attributes. So it's not a good person, bad person thing. It's just that we all need some people in our lives that we can hand off the glass ball to so that we can start to develop the capacity for community. And here's a huge connector for you. If you have nobody that you would trust with your glass ball, I can guarantee you don't trust God with your glass ball either. And the reality is relationships that we have in the physical help us understand our relationship with God. And so I've had people say, oh, no, I trust God. I just don't trust other people. When I've gotten in and done work with people, I've always found that ultimately they don't trust God either. And so that's a powerful piece of your relationship with God is that it's probably going to take you engage in community with safe people for you to be able to strongly engage your relationship with God. I hope that makes sense for you. Um, and I hope you really engage these exercises over a period of time um, and revisit this concept of safe people. And remember, I think it's really important that we find three to five people who meet these attributes that are in our life all the time. Why three to five? Well, sometimes you're in trouble, you're in a crisis, and you can't get a hold of the first two. So it's nice to have a third, you know, round where. Um, I just think it's helpful that we surround ourselves with a community that can help us heal. And so we want a number of people in our lives and hopefully that expands out. I would love to see the church become more and more safe, authentic, vulnerable, able to not judge, and really to help each you know, each other really encounter a safe and healing community. This was another episode of the Embracing Brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.